Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me on the show today. Well, I'm going to do something a little bit different now. Um, I've got Matt Baker with me. Matt, hi, first of all. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Richard. Thanks for having me on. Uh, you're more than welcome. And we're going to we'll do a little bit of a tables turn sort of thing here because um, Matt and your colleagues from the Property Jam podcast actually invited me to speak on your podcast. We'll talk about that in a second. So that's how we got to know each other. And um, I thought I'd return the compliments a little bit uh, by inviting you to talk to our audience. So a little bit of audience crossover. Um, but maybe before we get too far into that, maybe if you wouldn't mind just a, a quick intro about yourself, quick you know elevator pitch, if you like, about some of the things you get into. And maybe we'll just pick up the, the link of how we got to know each other and then we'll have a conversation after that. Is that okay? Yeah, sounds like a plan. So my name is Matt Baker. I'm, I wear three hats generally. One, I'm a developer, first and foremost. Um, I'm a Scott Baker Properties. Uh, we develop uh, generally HMOs and co-living spaces. and um, But we also do things like commercial conversions to flats and also um, hold some commercial property as well. Uh, my second hat is as a mentor, trainer, coach, mastermind host. Um, we have a, a business called the HMO Platform, which is designed to be a professional services, but also um, somewhere where people are inspired to then go and deliver uh, HMOs and co-living spaces for themselves. So, uh, and that's working really well today. Um, over the last couple of years, we've done, well, the last year, we've done almost £12 million worth of deals. Uh, well, our clients do almost £12 million worth of deals, which is um, awesome in a pandemic and then our third hat is well, my third hat is as um a managing agent as well which i know is something which um you're very very heavily into now and uh so yeah cohome is our kind of co-living kind of management agency um which is very kind of kind of early days started this year um and the idea behind that was we wanted to manage our own portfolio well and now we're looking at now we're working with some other other landlords as well to deliver co-living in a few different places throughout the uk thanks very much for that intro um a man of many hats and yes. um bit like myself to be fair um there's one you didn't mention and that these you know i think we're fellow knowledge sharers as well um yeah. so that that probably takes us back at least to talking about your your podcast and uh yeah, the audience can't see this but i can behind you is also a publication which we should talk about so do you want to just sort of talk a little bit maybe about how we got to meet and what you know and what's what the output of that is to start us off with property jam uh, and then you know maybe what's behind you would be really interesting yeah so um we uh, well i host a podcast called property jam with my business partner now scott from scott baker properties and also one of our really good friends joe lightfoot um who yeah, we all kind of started property at the same time about six years ago uh, and we all did the same property education course and so we all met on that and became friends and now and i started working together joe and i used to host um a um, networking event together in London. So um, we've become really good friends and the podcast was a really great way of us coming together and just talking about what we used to talk about, which is the human side of property. Um, and so essentially we used to get together and 
say oh this has happened this is going on and have a bit of a um, a celebration a bit of a moan and generally every bottle of wine so then we decided let's put a microphone in front of it and um, have a good time and then the pandemic hit and we thought well we can't meet in person so let's start recording over zoom and let's let's get some guests in let's start broadening the conversation and so um, you know we um you know checked out the property voice podcast and thought yeah richard it'd be great to to invite on and thankfully you said yes um so we met and we had that conversation uh, a week or so ago and that episode will be out on the 8th of november so i believe uh in a few days after this one gets released perfect i actually really i really enjoyed that conversation um it was a lot of fun um you know you've got different personalities and character and you know that came over um you know very much in that in our conversation so thanks for inviting me on i really appreciate it and, no yeah, and um yeah we'll maybe link to the 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 podcast um that's coming out on on monday and vice versa yep yeah no we'll do that our show notes we'll, we'll i mean we'll probably have to do it after the event event um put in the <laughs> I can't get my words out. Um, we'll probably have to do it after the end. Yeah, but we'll put links to the uh, the various podcasts in the show notes, I'm sure. Uh, we I will at my end, and it sounds like you probably will at your end, but uh, that'd be great. Yeah. And a little bit of cross-fertilization between the audiences. So um, I, the human side of property, I really enjoyed the conversation. I think it's a really good concept. So uh, any Property Voice listeners out there, if you haven't found it already, um, you know, go and check out Property Jam. Um, it was it was very good. There's some interesting uh, little spins as well, literally spins, by the way. I think one of them was, uh, you know, some little audio, um, guest participation and, you know, different kind of uh, gamifying podcasting to some extent. Um, yeah, I think the, the idea is, well, our, our tagline is that this uh, podcast is not meant to be informative or educational and has the potential to be completely irrelevant. So uh, the whole idea of that is that you know, we're, aiming to to uh, yeah to educate through story through um we're not well we're not aiming to educate we are aiming to educate in the same way um so it's it's through stories and, and people having uh you know real experiences and, and and hearing from real people about what it's really like to be an investor to be a landlord to to get into property yeah and our and our listenership it you know ranges from people who are just getting into it to people who are highly um uh you know experience and they're just kind of nodding along going yeah yeah been there done that yeah (laughs) yeah so uh, it it is it is good fun and yeah thank you no no problem so 8th of november let's check out that that's me on the other side of the mic um it's good fun so um thanks for that and good luck obviously with the ongoing podcast so i think you're a couple of years old already so that's um we are we just we just had our second um anniversary a few um a few weeks ago so um in fact um we had our highest listen listenership ever on our second anniversary episode which was great so uh, it's really exciting to see that um uh, things that things are going going well on that front as well good good all right so check it out and then i can't help but notice you've got something behind you so- yes you mentioned the, uh, the the book so um for, for those of you well you you can't see this as Richard said, but um, I've got my own little kind of mini studio set up at home, um, which the kind of the Zoom studio. Uh, and I have, I do have a few books um, just to uh, remind people that they can go and get one. Um, but essentially this is uh, called Next Level Landlord. And the whole idea behind this was um, when we started to think about how we could grow um as a developer and you know, what we were trying to achieve as a developer, it was to create you know, great quality shared homes and, and co-living homes because, um, and I'll maybe come on to what I mean by co-living a bit later, 
but um, when you generally create co-living style accommodation, it becomes it's a lot easier to manage. You get you have less issues with it, and people stay uh, a, long, a lot longer in these types of properties. So it makes commercial sense, and also is a much better experience, living experience for those that are moving and move into those style of properties. So um, the whole idea of um, getting more of this into the marketplace was, I think, because the market deserved it, and because HMOs generally have a really bad rap. And that's probably quite right because a lot of them are just really bad. So it's about having a um, kind of a bit of a, a, a creating some momentum of change in the marketplace. We can't do it alone. So we thought, well, how are we going to get other people to do that? We need to share knowledge about how we're doing it. So um, we started the HMO platform to help others to, to get into that market. Um, but also, we also, um, then I thought, well, actually, let's refine the methodologies that we use and put it into an easy, succinct way. Um, so I created our tenant first methodology and then wrote it down in the book, which is called Next Level Landlord, which is that aspiration that I think every uh, person who wants to be a landlord should aspire to. Um, so that's, uh, yeah, and, and the book focuses on how to create um, HMOs and co-living spaces um, that get you into that top 5% of your marketplace and which is where if you can get in your top five percent and stay in the top five percent then you'll have a business which will last the test of time really interesting well thanks for the explanation on the book and um how's it going the the um the, the book sales as it were the writing is it going well uh, yeah well yeah, yeah it's good um, i'm getting loads and loads of feedback uh, loads of really good feedback should i say um and it was a number one bestseller uh, on amazon when we launched it back in march 21 and um yeah I, I just yeah we, we um uh yes yeah, available through amazon and other booksellers but also um i'm very happy to send a copy in the post to anyone any of your listeners that want to get in touch um because i think it's important to get the knowledge out there um, it's not necessarily about book sales for me it's more about getting um the book into the hands of as many people that can have an influence in this market as as we can Ah, so that's very generous of you. You're probably going to get a few people reaching out to you, I think, uh, as a result of that. So, uh, well done. That's probably all. And my, um, I'm also an author, you probably spotted, I've yeah. got a couple of books, which were also Amazon bestsellers, by the way. Um, yeah. But the, the third one, thank you, congratulations to you. But the third one, which is um, imminent, is the Complete Guide to Property Finance. And um, plug, plug, plug. What I decided to do there was pay it forward. So people, in my case, if you bought, bought the book, if you buy that book, rather, if you decide to donate it to someone else, I will then replace it with a at least a PDF version. So similar, all I'm trying to say, doing it a different way, but similar um, values insofar as getting the word out and trying to share knowledge and, you know, perhaps up the standards a bit. So if that, that's my interpretation of that. Um, yeah, vision most definitely. Yeah. So um, I should ask you now then, if people want the book, how would they best connect with you to ask for it? Um, so the best way is to, well, actually what you could do is go in, head into our Facebook community. It's called Let's Talk HMOs. So if you head to, um, Facebook, just type in Let's Talk HMOs and then, um, request to join. Um, and then once you're in there, you can send, uh, me a message, uh, or one of our team a message. And, um, then, um, we can just pop one in the post. Sounds great. Well, very generous as I say. So look out for that. Let's, uh, was it? Let's Talk HMOs. Let's Talk HMOs. Right, gosh, got it right. Cool. All right, so that's the book. But I think equally, and you said it a couple of times now before we came on it, and 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 now you also talked about getting into the top five percent. Um, and you know, we're we talking predominantly shared living um, of 
some description here, right? Because I always talk about getting into the top 25% of the top quartile, um, but you're actually putting it right into the top 5%. So um, I'm, I'm intrigued as to what might make the difference in, say, top 25% in my world and top 5% in your world. So what do you think yeah. needs to happen to get into the top 5%, generally speaking? Well, um, when you kind of get the book, you'll see there's a, a, there's a graph which, which we've created, uh, which essentially shows where the, the kind of the magic happens in, in profitability. And um, a really good analogy, which I was talking about in the book, is, is, is about um, the difference between personal computers and, and, and the evolution of the iMac. So if we go back to like 1998, uh, around that time, all computers were made equal. You had um, all these manufacturers like Hewlett Packard, Dell, you know, these guys making a personal computer, which all looked the same. It was the, the kind of the beige box um, of computers. And they were quite complicated. You had to use like MS-DOS to code in them. Um, and because all these computers did exactly the same thing, then the only point of difference was the price. So the price would come down and down and down and profit, profit margins were just being squeezed. And then out comes Steve Jobs in, in 1998 with something very, very different, which is the iMac G3. And the iMac G3 was um, the, the first kind of major uh, kind of breakthrough products, uh, which starts to separate Apple from the rest of the marketplace. And it's the, the computer, which is all in one box. It's colorful. It was colorful. Um, it kind of had that, that's that kind of colorful perspex see-through um, case. Um, and it turned on and had a really easy to use graphical user interface. So, um, and because of that, it was different. It wasn't called a computer anymore. It was called an iMac. It was called a, it was, it was a brand in its own right. So they created their own marketplace. And because of that, then sales of those were skyrocketed and their profit margins were up beyond 20%. So um, essentially, be the top 5% is to be the, the iMac of your um, of the HMO marketplace. And that's essentially where the co-living HMO or we, what we call the next level HMO sits. Um, and there are three key parts to that. Um, cause some people get really confused and think co-living is just a really nice looking HMO. It's not, that's just a really nice looking HMO. Um, co-living happens when you have a group of people who get on well living in a property and it is and in order to get that, you need to deliver a good would generally need to deliver deliver a good level of service to the property. So from our perspective, a next level HMO gets you into the top 5% of design, the top 5% of space, and the top 5% of service. So, um, and you can probably get away with without the design, as long as you've got some space and some service, and you're probably still going to rent really, really well. The design is actually the icing on the cake, which really captivates and gets you know, people into your house. Because design fades over time. Design can be um, you know, of the of the of the time today it could be a trend could be on trend at five years time the whole place needs redoing because you didn't think about i want this house for 20 years not just for two years so that really great rent you get now you have to spend and reinvest and probably do a lot more work um, than you would if you just designed it for, for for the long term so that's essentially what i mean by top five percent space design service 
Yeah, and um, we haven't even got into sort of co-living full, really, that with that, you know, that's next level. And I guess co-living is another level again, presumably. Um, well, well, co-living is, this This is kind of my definition of co-living is the space, ah, okay. the design and the service. So yeah. co-living is, um, so how do you deliver that service? I, I would say that, actually, I'll start that again. So the, the, the confusion between HMOs and co-living comes because people think they just have, they're only thinking about the asset that they've got, the property. And co-living can only happen when you've got people living in the property. So it can only really happen through the management of the property um, in reality. So the co-living, so the, the HMO is the thing. The co-living is like the wrapper that goes around it that makes it work really, really well. And um, so from our perspective, like co-living yeah you, you're you're helping them to form those relationships through putting on maybe some events or helping them to put on events you have community facilitation um you're it's not just about um somebody moving in you help them move in um with a really nice idea yeah really nice slick process they apply for a room they take the room and they move in and that's the agent's job done that's not co-living as a co-living operator you're thinking about every single touch point from the moment they first see your business to the moment they move out of your business. Um, so when they move out, you want them to be shouting about what you're doing and essentially finding one of their mates to move in. You know, that's that's where you, you want to be going as a coding operator. And that's what we do at Cohome, which is the, one of the hats that I wear. Um, and there's, those are the types of things we implement um, in the properties that we manage. So, uh, so yeah, I think co-living is about f- um, how we can form meaningful relationships within um, properties yeah so I mean, the meaningful relationships or the community element is definitely one of the distinguishing uh, elements of co-living versus but basic shared living hmos i think and and that probably part partly explains my 25 percent and your five percent um, because i think you can still have a really good shared living experience in the top 25 percent, which but doesn't necessarily have that um you know, manager-led or operator-led community experience. Yeah, that some houses naturally do it, right? They, you know, yeah. it's mates who club together and you know get a house, for example, uh, or it's students, you know, and you know we know what goes on there, and uh, you know, so uh, I think it can be you know led by the mem- by the occupants, the residents, the tenants, the members. We'll maybe talk about that distinction yeah. in your service piece, uh, but I think in terms of community, um, you know, if you you're facilitating that that would differentiate between, you know, an everyday shared living, uh, you know, house, let's say, or accommodation, and uh, and maybe co-living. That, that fair? Yeah, no, d- definitely. Uh, I think so. And I think it's as you get, like, further up that percentage, so that percentile to kind of that 5 to 10%, and I, I think that 5% is, it's, you know when you're in your 5% because your room's just let like that. Yeah. Um, and at a premium, presumably. And, and, and that's a premium. Um, yeah. But that 5%, I think, is, is expanding to be kind of 5 to 10%, I would say. Um, but there's still not enough of that of this type of combination in the marketplace to you know, to really warrant it. So the 5% is a good place to be right now because we are getting a bit of a premium. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, when you start to slip down to the you know, 75% below 75%, that's when you get into that highly commoditized marketplace, whereas an HMO landlord, you're always going to be fighting on price mm-hmm. um so your price is only ever going to go it's going to be it's going to remain a lot more static or go down as um the quality of your hmo goes down in the grand scheme of the market 
So the only way to retain that is to continue well, to reinvest in the property. So doing things like proactive maintenance to make sure that the properties stay in a really good nick um, and to, to do some of these things like community facilitation so, so that people actually love living in one of your properties. Yeah, I, I want to extend it into the service angle in a second. Probably yeah. should talk about space as well. But I think um, what I really just to go back to your analogy with the uh, with the uh, with the apple analogy, yeah. of course, um, you know, moving from a, a commodity to a niche, um, you know, with a premium and you know, differentiating on on a, on a number of different levels, and that you you per- perfectly painted that picture. Um, and I think if you look now, I mean, Apple are a trillion-dollar company. Um, and I think yesterday I heard that Tesla made that list as well. But I think that's six of them, five or six of them. Mm-hmm. Doesn't include Dell, doesn't include Hewlett-Packard, doesn't include the box, you know, manufacturers that you kind of alluded to. So that in itself, you know, demonstrates the value potentially of getting up into that upper you know, 5%, as you call it, 5 to 10% maybe of uh, of the market. Um, so I think I'll just reference that point if, if anybody yeah. ever wanted evidence. And, um, of course, the other thing is, you know, probably is it 1 in 10? I don't know what it is. Is it 1 in 10, you know, people buy a Mac versus a PC? Um, so it's still, you know, it's a 10% range versus the mass market. But pretty much everyone who owns a Mac are raving fans, and um, you know they they really tell you how fantastic it is. You, it, sometimes a little bit sickening how how <laughs> raving fan like they are. But is is that sort of where you're headed with this type of you know ethos and thinking? Well, if you're thinking about the the tenant in mind, you know, our methodology is tenant first, and I'm, I'm using that term tenant because it's the it's the term that the majority of the market know. It's not the term that we use in our business, but the tenant first methodology, if you put the tenant first, then you've got a business model that surely is going to work because um, in any other business, uh, it, you find a problem and then you solve that problem and you charge a, a fee to solve that problem. Mm-hmm. The only thing about housing is that everybody needs housing. So everyone's got that problem, but which means that you can do it badly or do it well and you can still get paid for it. Um, and so I think it's about, knowing that we are providing a service um people say things like oh the extra market is saturated it's really hard it's really difficult it's like okay yeah people can have that view if they want but actually the the extra market's got so much potential um as a growing market there's so much evidence just in the last year that's come out to show that it's a growing market that's got so much potential um that um yeah the, the the marketplace for good quality is growing People are more discerning. I think the lockdown has showed that. We do an annual survey called the Shared Living Survey. We did one in the middle of lockdown and and the results are coming out shortly. That shows that people are looking for more of what, of more kind of co-living style accommodation. I forgot what the question was. (laughs) Well, you've answered it. You know, you're talking about what is the market serving? And, you know, it's the, the discerning, and I'm going to ask you, by the way, what do you call a tenant in your business? What, what do you call a tenant in your business? Oh, is that the question? Yeah, so uh, it, it's it's uh, we call them housemates. Housemates. Yeah. So it wasn't the question, but it was a question. And um, so your housemates, um, they, you know, the the top five ten percent are more discerning, um, and they're more selective, and they, you know, they want they have certain different expectations, but equally they're prepared to pay for that um, in the most part. Um, so in that's fact, kind of interesting. Interesting on, on on that point. Now, the average salary I think is what about thirty thousand pounds now. And if you think about um, you know, what, 
as a landlord and um, someone who would maybe reference um, customers and tenants, um, you're looking at maybe like a 40% to uh, of what they spend on housing. Um, is probably about you wouldn't want them to spend any more than that because they don't have any cash left over. It's about forty percent and below is where you want to be. So if you look at the average salary being thirty thousand pounds, and you know the average age of co-living tenants now is going up, it's about twenty eight, which means that they're more likely to be on average salaries um, close to thirty thousand pounds. Which means that actually, if you break that down, a co-living room on average can quite easily get to about eight hundred pounds per month. Mm-hmm. as long as it's um and that's that's nationwide because that's the national average so uh, obviously there will be nuances and you know i think there are some markets where it's difficult to breach that 500 then it's difficult to breach that 600 and you start to see it happening with these types of properties and i think um while the average is around about thirty thousand pounds i reckon um 800 pounds a month for a room is where it could quite easily get to yeah well, we've got a business in London called Capital Living, uh, yeah. which is a, a flavour of, of co-living. And um, room rents are above £1,000, you know, a yeah. month. Um, some of them are above 1200 you know, um, and the, there are some above average salaries uh, there as well. So that uh, evidence your, your your point as well in, in reality. I think, um, but let's just talk, dwell on a second. So the, the other bit is service, right? So what do these discerning housemates expect and what do they get, you know, in the next uh, level landlord type of uh, service? So um, there's a, a method that I've kind of put together to kind of make it um, easy to kind of follow called the co-living approach. And the kind of, there's eight kind of elements to it. And um, say, for example, one of them would be about how we nurture relationships and that's all about how we communicate with our customers so um you want to you don't want to be just moving them in and then not talking to them for for six months it's about providing them with with information about what's going on uh and you know you know asking them how they're doing so there's nurturing relationship then also listening to the to feedback because in any other business, a good business will always ask for feedback. How's it going? And they would, by listening to feedback, you can grow, you can evolve. And you might find that the poker night that you put on the other night was just a dead flop, if you pardon the pun. And um, <laughs> so that just came to me. Um, so it was a flop. And then um, you go, okay, well, that didn't work. Why don't you suggest? So you can ask them, like, what types of events do you like to do? Would you like to, to be put on? You know, we have a budget um, and you can spend that budget how, however you want to. Uh, and you can run events yourselves or we can put something on for you. So asking those kind of questions. Uh, and actually, that's that's the other one. It's G, G for gatherings. Co-living approach spells co-living, funnily enough. Um, ah. so G, G for gatherings um, is, is all about how to form meaningful relationships because you do that through people meeting and the best way is actually over food so a really simple tip for anyone who manages hmos or has got even got an hmo manager in place just tell your manager and the next time someone moves in please just send them you know five six pizzas and tell them all to go and um, eat together and meet their new housemate Um, so, and as a landlord, you can just do that. It's no skin off your own nose. And if that means that the new person is feels welcomed into the house, and they actually get on with their future housemates, which hopefully that would have happened, that would have been thought about by the person letting the room, because um, getting people to you know housemate compatibility is a really important thing that should hopefully should have been thought about um, by 
putting those people together, if that means a friendship starts to form, that person instead of moving out after six months, then moves out after nine months or after 12 months because of those relationships, then you've just saved yourself a lot of money in a void, in reletting fees, in uh, in maybe having to repaint the room or get it ready for letting. So um, that you know, 30 quid that you spend on some pizzas, um, I think is a gesture of goodwill plus it gets them on gets them on side for if anything goes wrong and you need to and and, and you need to fix something um but also that uh, means that they're more likely to stay longer sounds good um i was going to ask you about technology but maybe not now because i think i just want to get your quick view on space because i'm also worried about our timings um mm-hmm. so um you know space just quickly what does that mean in your model so space is about not going um bare minimum so you might, for example, take a property. Um, thinking about maybe a, an HMO landlord doing their first few properties, and they might go, "Okay, I can get six rooms out of this, but they're all going to be six and a half, seven square meters." I'd go, "Okay, I'd question that logic and go, all right, so you can get six rooms out of it, but re- do you really want to?" So you might be looking at those rents and go, "Yeah, actually, that's a really nice number." Go, okay, so how many voids are you going to have in a six bed HMO where you've got? the bare minimum of, of space and, and the amenity in there. Would it not be better to do an epic five bed, have it full most of the time and provide a much better service to five people rather than a maybe less of a service for six? Um, and pretty much nine times out of 10, when you run the numbers long-term, the epic five bed always wins out profitability, profitability-wise over the compromised six bed. So space is about maximizing what you can do in a building which is what hmos essentially are um but doing it in a way which doesn't compromise the quality of product and also that you're not gonna have to redo it in three years when you suddenly realize actually i should have just done five not six and in fact five of those rooms work really well that six bedroom i'm gonna just gonna have to turn into something else now i'm gonna have to make it into a study room so it becomes an afterthought so think about it with a with a longer view and this is something I'm seeing quite a lot at the moment is that um, a lot of people are just not investing. They're wanting to invest, but they're not investing because they're saying, oh, it's just too expensive. I'm putting this together and they get all oh, the return. I'm only getting, you know, I'm only hitting like a 14, 15% return where I want a 25% return. So, and they, and it's just not doing deals. And people are saying, I'm going to, I'm going to invest where the market corrects itself because we're in a bubble and we're going to correct itself. If you look at the evidence, we're not in a bubble. We're actually where we're supposed to be. And in fact, we're going we're going up quite quickly at the moment. And unless there's some outside force which is going to bring us down for a bit, the pressure dramatically is up because we're massively below the moving average. So um, what you think is quite expensive today, next year you're going to be saying, I wish I bought it at 250 because I have to buy it at 300, 350 now. So these property prices are moving at quite a gallop. So this is something that I'm seeing quite a lot. It's people not taking action, not buying property full stop. Whereas actually you could get into the market now and go, okay, I'm happy with my 14, 15% return today because market's moving in two, three years time, I can refinance that. And I had a 50% return. So my average return is more than I was going, going for on day one. So, and it comes back to this idea of take a, the longer view rather than just that short term, because it is better to get into the market and have some assets that are appreciating right now in value and get the cash flow 
well, you know, you, you, you're a lot of things I can say there, but I mean, basically, so it's counterintuitive, isn't it? Because, you know, you, the logic says, the, the obvious logic says six beds are going to earn more than five beds, for example, yeah. in your example. But if you're getting 800 a month on your five bed versus, say, 600 on your five bed, uh, sorry, wrong way around, um, 800 on your five bed versus uh, 600 on your six bed, you probably find those numbers work out, you know, pretty compellingly in your favor. So that's one example. So evidence you point about taking action you know everyone who's been doing forecasts and predictions over the last two years has pretty much got it wrong um yeah. that's why i don't do forecasts and predictions by the way but i've literally today read the zoopla report and they're saying we predict this is zoopla we predict three percent house price growth on average next year um this is on the back of 6.6 percent in the last year and one of the lines in their report says our forecast was wrong last year. <laughs> you know, by the way, so uh, but the point is, it's still as you say, the prices are going up. So if you don't get if you don't get on that ladder, um, it's going to be difficult to get on later. It's like an escalator, and even if it eases off, and there's a there are black swan events. It's it, been proven in history, but timing those and waiting for them, you could miss out on a whole load of rental income in the meantime. So um, yeah, I actually did a sum. I, I I did this in the webinar um, recently, and um, just by waiting one year, if you waited a year ago to today. Um, so you, you'd be down about forty-five thousand pounds, which is capital depreciation plus rent for the year. Um, so, if anyone's thinking, "Oh, I, my criteria is not quite right. I can't find these deals," um, maybe just have a rethink, tweak the model, and um, you know, maybe look at buying some existing stock, which is cash flowing today, and go, "Okay, well, I'll take a." A twelve percent return, as long as I don't have to do work to it for for two years, and that will work for me now. And then I can I can um, swap that asset later. Um, so you know, buying existing HMOs is a, is a potential really great thing to do right now because demand is through the roof, and then you can turn them into next level HMOs um, later. You know, as long as you can hit that, you get the good service, and um, then I think I think it, it's good. The only thing with buying existing HMOs is that you you end up with the tenants that you haven't necessarily vetted yourself. Um, so there's always a learning curve there, but yes, yeah, a potentially good strategy. Well, take the long view again, as you said. So you know maybe you've got six to twelve months to churn that existing tenant tenancy um, occupation level. Um, so many things I could talk about. I'm a little bit conscious of our time together. We we yeah. booked. Um, can't help but mention uh, Fielding Financial because I think, am I right in thinking, is that where you three, yourself, Niall and Joe, all kind of met, if you like? Um, Correct. Yeah, yeah, we did. So we um, did the training with Fielding Financial back in 2015. And that was kind of the spark that got us going. Because before that, I was a musician, as a as a piano, piano player um, and a freelance piano player and piano teacher. We had a, had a music school. Uh, Niall was in financial services um, Joe was working in the university sector and higher education. So we're all massively different backgrounds. And then we all kind of we came together and we met through that training. Um, and I think when you, the people that listen to this that are in the property industry know that the industry is actually quite a supportive one. Everyone gets on, you know, it's quite, quite, yeah, you can pretty much have a chat with anyone and people are very, very helpful um as as a rule and um that's what we found through doing fielding financially kind of as in dual fielding words kind of lit our spark for property and then we kind of went and kind of grew from from that point on and just that got us started and did some other work with some other um coaches um like andy and lloyd from white box worked with them quite a bit and some others um some good ones um but also some ones which i won't mention now which um were not particularly great so when we set up the hmo platform um as our kind of niche um, next level HMO coaching and training business um 
we knew exactly what we wanted it not to be. So, which is why we can pretty much say we've got next to 100, almost 100% success rate with, with, with our clients on getting, on getting deals in the year they spend with us, which is amazing. We're so proud of the guys. Sounds good. Uh, I couldn't help but mention that. Jill was a former uh, guest on this podcast. Um, really enjoyed talking to her. She's a fascinating story. I think we've tried a couple of times to uh, connect with her training. So that's why I, I mentioned it. I got a real soft spot for her. I really like her. So if you yeah. come through that stable and I think you still participate uh, in that stable, then that's, that's good. Yeah, no, I'm still still part of that network because um, there's really, really great people um, mm. that can come through there. And Jill, I think, is like the the mother of property education anyway. She kind of started it back in the, the, the 90s or no, yeah. 2000s. Um, so, um, yeah. yeah, she's very much um, been there, done that, and kind of has seen it, weathered all the storms. So, mm. um, yeah, so having learned from her at the very beginning, I think was very, um, uh, yeah, very valuable. Great stuff. Well, I could talk to you for a lot, a lot, lot more, actually, Matt, but I know we've restricted on time. So if it's possible, two, maybe yeah. two closing questions, right? Uh, fairly, hopefully fairly easy, and you can answer them in whichever order you want. One of them is going to be, uh, and I think you possibly answered earlier, but where, where could people find you, your connections, that sort of thing? So just think about that, signposting people to learn more about you and, you know, your colleagues, for example. And then the, but the, maybe the first question is, um, what be a parting thought, you know, to our guests, right, um, that you might have? I'm trying to extend the, converse, the the question so you can think about the answer. Um, but, you know, what did you wish you knew? Uh, what regret did you have? Uh, or what, you know, what sort of piece of advice might you depart, uh, leave, leave us with today? That would be really cool. And you can answer whichever question you want first. If you need more time to think about one of them. <laughs> okay, well, well, I'll, I'll, I know I've got the answer to both. Um, so if people want to reach out and connect with me, um, I'm on social media. My handle's clearly Matt Baker. And, uh, or they can join our community online, which is at Facebook. Uh, Let's Talk HMOs is our community um, on there. Alternatively, head, head over to our website. It's hmoplatform.co.uk um, would be probably the, probably the main one. And then um, in terms of my parting thoughts, we talked a lot about HMOs and income strategies, and we work a lot with investors. And the one thing that I would have told myself at the beginning, if I was starting again, is start flipping properties sooner. Because working with other people's money, you, you're looking at, we talked about some of these returns at the moment having to be between 12 and 15%, potentially 20% um, on, on deals. And um, you may be having to squeeze what you're doing, but you still want to get into the marketplace. So if you're working with investors, you've got capital um, in there. So how do you release it? So when you're having to get in there, how, how do you release it? Do you have a five-year view, a one-year view, a 10-year view? So um, yeah, we've been investing for six years. And one thing I would have said to myself earlier is start flipping earlier because it brings lump sums of capital, which are really, really helpful, really, really helpful at times when... Um, when cash can be low um so that would be my one piece of advice um go income first but don't wait for, for those capital um projects um you know so i'd probably say a couple of years of income related project is a great place to start and then start bringing in flips because that can start paying off investors or people that you've got in your business joint venture partners um when when some of those deals maybe don't hit or you know the cash you want out of them or maybe they're not designed to so, um, yeah, just think about that as well. Capital is great, especially in a market like now. Um, great to do capital projects because you're going to appreciate your projects appreciate from the moment you buy them. 
the moment you get your offer accepted, essentially. essentially. Yeah. The so-called capital event, um, you know, uh, you can release capital along the way and, you know, it allow, you know, it's just not income forever. I think it's Lisa Orm, another guest of the show. She yeah. was just purely rental, 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 buy and hold, you know, for, for that was her vision. Her, but she changed things along the way and she had someone like you probably suggest to her that maybe she could um, release some capital from some of these. She'd never really considered it. And then she started doing some of that, not necessarily all of them, but, you know, starting to release some capital. So I think that's a really, really good piece of advice. So take take some capital along the way, take the wins, um, builds up the the war chest or, the, you know, the walls of defense, whichever yeah. you know line you want. And uh, also allows you to be more opportunistic in, in, in certain situations. So that's my take on it. I share your view. Matt, I'd love to talk to you more. I really appreciate you joining me today. Uh, I know we've got a time limit, so I'm just going to say thanks so much for joining me uh, today uh, on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're more than welcome. And I'll just do my quick wrap up and then we'll close. So uh, thanks everyone for listening once again this week on the Property Voice podcast. You can find the show notes over at the website, thepropertyvoice.net, and we'll put those links in we talked about and some of the social media tags, um, as long as I can remember them. And um, if you want to talk to me, uh, podcast at thepropertyvoice.net. If you want to talk to Matt, you've got his contact details or I can introduce you if you want to reach out through me. Um, But I guess all that remains to be said is thanks very much for listening once again this week. And until next time on the Property Voice podcast, it's Ciao Ciao. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.